Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Got a special episode for you today, and this is really cool. Uh, joined by Neil Hornsby, the founder of PFF, and uh, uh, a guy I've known for uh, now what? What do you think? Since 2007, 2006, did we first interacted? Something of that sort of nature. I, it, when we go back in time, I always lose track as to yes. when I actually spoke to somebody, but uh, that feels at least in the right order of magnitude. We're, we're getting old, there's no doubt about that, uh, but uh, I, I kind of wanted to have this show for a long time, but, but have people, have you explain how PFF got started, uh, you know, where you came from as fans, what your background is in terms of business, and, and uh, talk a little bit about that. But let's just start off as, when did you start watching NFL games? Um, 1983, um, in the UK, they started showing highlights a week after the games had actually been played um, of uh, about 35 minutes, 40 minutes of an NFL game. Um, So it was that 1983 season and then 
I probably watched the second half of that and then all of 1984 and from then onwards. Okay. So, uh, you know, fairly recent to a lot of us, because okay, so I'm 58 now. I don't know how old you are, but, uh, but I, at, uh, uh, I was already, I guess, a college student at that point. And um, there are people who go back for it, but I also have to be respectful that there's a lot of younger fans of the show now that you know, weren't, weren't born until about 2000, which is strange. Um, yeah. The, yeah, so it was, I am 57, so remarkably we're very similar in age, and uh, I was at college at that time as well, and it was, uh, it was new, I was watching it um, in my college dorm, effectively, that was the, uh, that was the time, time span. So you, you, you went off into the business world first, obviously, and what was your background like there? Um, did the usual thing of multiple different roles within organizations from operations all the way up then to IT. I guess I got into IT probably more than anything else uh, and then moved into process management. Um, I guess I followed the path that a lot of people then follow, which is uh, once you've done IT and process management, the I suppose technically the next thing is you start your own little business and that was what I did. Um, to call it a business, you know, it was just more like a little boutique consultancy, um, just providing uh, resources to people I'd worked for previously in corporates. Mm -hmm. um, and it was all going very well. All, you know, all exactly what you would expect. Um, every, no shortage of work, um, but sometimes the work not being exactly what you would like to do and the truth of it is when you move out of corporate the reasons for moving out of corporate are manifest you know <laughs> not many people really when it boils down to it like corporate um, and you think when you're starting your own business that <clears throat> you're probably not going to have to deal with that anymore. But the truth is, who are you providing services into? You're providing services into corporate. So the thing just starts all over again. I, very much similar path for me. I, I worked as an actuary until age 52. I wish the timing had been right to get involved in the ground floor of PFF for me, but uh, uh, at, at 52, I retired as an actuary and decided to do this. But a, a lot of people try and make uh, you know, football reporting, football writing their first career, and maybe there's more of a chance for it now. But I really encourage people to go the route that you and I both did, is, is make some money like, up front, and then do, do, your, do your second career as this. That, that you are 100% right, because I was at least able to do this, and then it just becomes a, an additional thing that you do on top, so it just becomes like a hobby that you're doing on top of your couldn't job, and you don't have to worry about providing for your wife and your family and your kids and all of those sorts of things, because that's already been taken care of, and when you're doing this, it just means that you're potentially taking less money than you would do, and it's just, or you're putting money into a hobby that is worthwhile. I do worry a number of people, as you probably expect, come to me and they say, can I have some advice? And the answer is always yes, you know, with starting as an entrepreneur. But the problem for them is they need it to work. Mm -hmm. They absolutely need it to work because they're on something of a burning bridge and they are generally self-funded. 
so they need to get money in quickly. And when you need to get money in quickly, you cut corners. You don't do things the way that they should be done. Make no mistake, when I started this, when you and I first started talking, mm -hmm. Ken in 2008, whenever it was, 2009, I had no aspirations about making any money out of this at right. all. No, no, very similar to you. Why are you so passionate about what you do? And why do you do such a good job of it? Because you didn't need to make any money. So you do it the best you possibly can because that's what you do when you don't have to worry about money coming in. Yeah, when, you, when you're writing about this, completely agree with your comment. When you're writing about this or when you're deciding how to keep the data you want, you, you, your, your initial thoughts are not, how can I sell this thing? They're, they're, how can I get what I want out of this? How can I enjoy what I've written in the future and look back at it and say, yeah, I had that right, but I didn't have this right. And, and, and be able to still uh, you know, enjoy what you've compiled over the years. That's, that, that's exactly the advice I just gave to a young person and I said, you know, he was, he was worried on the fact that he was trying to do something, it wasn't quite working out, it wasn't quite, people weren't picking up on it. I said, you have to fundamentally do this for you. If you're doing this to get picked up by other people, that's not a good rationale. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the usual thing, enjoy the journey. If you're not enjoying the journey, then don't bother doing it because you probably won't enjoy the results when you get there. Okay, so let's turn this discussion back to, to PFF because I think a lot of people really want to hear the discussion as it relates to football. Uh, so what, did you, what kind of system did you start writing this on originally and, and what information were you collecting? So, pen and paper, <laughs> like as, as everybody does. Uh, then into an Excel spreadsheet, like everybody does. And then we needed something that was a little bit more relational. So I then wrote the very first PFF in Access. And by, the, by me saying wrote, <laughs> if, any, if any of our IT guys heard me writing things, they would, uh, they would laugh. Um, you know, you know a little bit of SQL, and you think that's that's you're the bee's knees. Um, but I put some things into Access, and we built a little system in Access. And then I have a very good friend who's now our CTO, and who's always been one of the best IT guys I've ever known, a guy called Ian Perks. And I paid him probably twenty percent of his going rate to then codify some of the, automate some of the processes just to make it easier um, to do what we were doing and then to shoot it up to the, um, to, it, it's the usual thing, there's three parts to anything that we do. There's the data acquisition, there's the database and then there's the visualization. That's still the case, it was, it was the case in the old days. It, it's still the case now. It was just in the old days. The data acquisition and the database were access and the data visualization tool was some form of PHP up on the web. That was the answer, you know. All right, and then uh, PFF first came out in some kind of web-based format in 2007, if I recall correctly, the first games were scored and, and put out there? That's correct, that's absolutely, it was just the last few games of the season. I think we did all of the um, playoffs, um, but yeah, that was the very first games, and then the first season that we did in full was 2008. 
Okay, and so and then since then you've gone back and completed 2007 and went back into 2006 as well. Right? That's absolutely right, yeah. All right. I've, I have found it very difficult. I did go back to the beginning of Raven's history, going back to old video that's very difficult to, to gather information from to get the defensive uh, packages for every play. And you, you know, as well as I do, from a broadcast video, you have to make some assumptions to go directly from, from that to, to a full 11 about defensive package. But it, it's, it, that was worth the journey. Where I, where I had a lot of trouble was going back for the offensive line and scoring every play. And we, we're back in 2005, and we're kind of getting bogged down at this point. Yeah, yeah we didn't find 2006 too problematic. But I could well imagine going back. I was watching some old, you know. You've always you're, you're the you're the Ravens guy. I suppose I'm the Marino guy. And watching some of the early 1984, 85 uh, Marino on tape, I keep on looking at it and thinking, "Oof, this would be a little bit tricky to do anything too uh, too rigorous on uh, this type of uh, quality." Mm-hmm. I noticed the NFL had game gone back with their All-22 stuff, and I don't know what they were looking at, at All-22 video they actually had on the old system to try and get um, participation by play into the late 90s. And they, they, they'd done it you know, right on the money. And one reason I know is the Ravens got away with a single play with 13 on the field to end a game in 1998. And it's just yeah. really weird. But they, they came up with you know, 11x plus 2 was their number of total snaps played by the defense. And so they hit, they uh, they got it right, and I was really surprised by that. And anyway, I, w I wondered how far back do you know that they have that all twenty two video that they could actually do something with it? And do you guys have access to it? I um, it's one of the things I'm probably most annoyed about on the entire. <laughs> I shouldn't say on the entire planet, it, 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 it makes real problems sound trivial. But there, I know there are legitimately NFL teams video departments who are throwing away all 22 footage mm. that you cannot potentially ever get again, just because they don't have the space. It's ridiculous. And I'm desperately trying to find as much of this stuff and archive it as I possibly can because I don't care. You know, we'll pay to, to put the stuff somewhere to um, get the stuff up. I'm not asking anybody to do anything. Just please give us the footage and let us at least archive it because right. the idea that this is being lost for all time, you know, from as, early, from as little ago as, say, 2001 and 2002 is ridiculous to me. Mm -hmm. um, that's really valuable uh, historical information about the NFL and the idea that somebody's throwing it in a dumpster is uh, it's abundant. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, that, that is really sad, and I wish they would, they would do that. I, I, I assume you guys still have access to the All-22 currently, where we're analyst communities really struggling with the current situation in Game Pass. Yeah, because we get it directly from uh, the teams um, pretty much as soon as it goes live for any of the NFL teams because we're not providing that onto anybody else. We are simply using it to provide information back to the NFL teams. So we get it under those auspices, which is that it, it serves them no purpose not to give us it as quickly as possible because they know as soon as they give us it, they get the information back that they need. And we're not passing it on to anybody else. It's, it's simply um, 
they provided to us simply to allow us to provide them the information back more quickly. I'm, I'm wondering who else now has access to that All-22 um, during the preseason, because you see All-22 clips are out there. They're not from PFF. They're mm -hmm. from CBS and they're from other you know, news units. Yeah. Uh, but the analyst community, Game Pass doesn't have it currently, and, and we're, uh, we're struggling with that at present. So we have to get I, I hope it's going to be back for the season, but I didn't really see it in the description of what NFL Game Pass is going to be this season. So... I, I know you're not. It's not your problem. It's 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 more our problem. But uh, uh, you know, it's it's something that's very frustrating on our end. Yeah, and it, it's um, it's just as you well know, it's impossible to do a, a number of the things that we do. Well, you know, a large percentage of the things that we do, <laughs> the vast majority of the things that we do without that footage. Um, I, I couldn't conceive of not having it. It's, you know, we wouldn't be able to do it. And as you know, we've got all 32 NFL teams as customers. Yes. <laughs> They'd be the first people to shout at us is if we didn't get the, the, um, the data back to them by the time that their SLAs require. So. So did you first get All-22 then in what year? Because it, uh, it wasn't available in 07, 08 to, to the general community. When did you guys first get it? Oh, that's a really good question. Probably when it became available on Game Pass. So it's like Probably 2011? Something that like that. Okay. Something like that. We may have been getting it from some teams at that stage. Um, uh, but I can't, I, I, I just, I can't recall exactly my, my mind as I get older. I, uh, I lose track of exactly when these things happen. I know how that goes. Okay, well, let's move on to another topic. The, the scoring network itself has been always one of the most difficult things to put together for any kind of new enterprise that's looking at football data. And, you know, it, I, just as a guy who does one team and does it fairly intensively, I know finding 32 of me would be very difficult. And you don't really need 32. You need more than that because you need reviewers for that information. And you, you guys have, you know, a couple levels of review. First of all, tell us about building a scoring network and then second of all, building that those levels of review and what those look like. So clearly when you're starting, uh, you aren't doing much reviewing because you're just working on the principle that, you know, this isn't for anybody else, this is simply for you and you're going to do the job as, as well as you can possibly get it. Um, one of the issues then became... Um, our first real contract was actually with ESPN as opposed to an NFL team. But they're looking for a level of accuracy, which is, you know, they, they don't want to be paying a, a, a not insubstantial amount of money for something that's, you know, inaccurate. They need to be accurate. So we had to put levels of checks and balances in. Um, and the first one, obviously, was in terms of player participation. And you've got to realize at this stage that we don't have all 22. So you are having to make some um, guesses at times. You just, you just do. You, know, you can probably remember going back and having Judgment to think who would, be in a, who would be in. Yeah, yeah exactly that. Um, 
But it was it was interesting when John Berger from the Giants first contacted me in 2009. His big play was, you know, we want this player participation information and we love your accuracy. And I said, oh, okay. And he, he asked the question, which was exactly the same question that you said, which is where did you get the old 22 footage from? And my answer was, I haven't got the old 22 footage. And he said, oh, come on, you can tell me. I'm not going to tell anybody where you're getting it from. <laughs> and I said, honestly, I said, you know, I, I'm not lying to you. I said, we're not getting it. He said, well, I have no idea. He said, but I, I still remember the conversation. He said, you guys are more accurate off broadcast than my interns are off all 22. And that was the first time that I knew that we probably had something yeah, the NFL had something posted on NFL.com, and if you, you had to go down to a player participation thing, and I know you were aware of it because we talked about it in the distant, distant past, but they said that they're, they've gotten their error rate down to one every four and a half plays. About one out, about 1% was their error rate on, on total players, and that seemed very high to me at the time. You know, you go through a game, and okay, you know, two snaps here, three snaps there. It, it's not like it, it never happens. It's not like you're not a snap-off sometimes. But to, to be, you know, in a, in, a, in a typical NFL game of 120 offensive and defensive plays, and let's just focus on that. So you have, uh, you know, times times 22 players on the field. We're talking about what 2,600 roughly. Uh, I always say three three thousand transpositions. Whenever I'm doing it, my my number's three thousand. But we'll take twenty six hundred. Ken, what's what's four hundred between friends? No, not that's that's great. And I'm probably off by five plays anyway. So so if it's uh, if it's three thousand total uh, plays, they would have accepted thirty errors. But that is way too high. That's way too high, even with with old uh, VHS tapes. Uh, to, to expect during a game. Uh, I, I don't know how much you had of this early, but did you have people at games at all looking at the secondary? Because that in and of itself is an enormous jump in terms of your accuracy. Because you know, obviously rotating safeties are the bane of player participation analysis. Yeah, and, but back in the day, very few people did it that often and you could normally tell by what package was on the field, who they had mm -hmm. in. Um, the, we, our accuracy percentage was 99.6. That was the number that we would claim, and that was the number that we could justify pretty much regularly against the NFL. But I don't know whether you know the story, Ken. We, I don't know whether I've ever told you this. We were the reason that the NFL actually um, decided to give out player participation mid-season um, rather than wait until the end of... Um, uh, the season or until a team was uh, eliminated before they gave them it. So I'm down at Jacksonville and we're selling player participation and I'm talking to Mike Perkins um, Ray Perkins' son I know Mike fairly well, I've known him for a while and he's always good fun and um, he's always very keen to do what he can and the, to do the best by the league and he's saying, this is ridiculous, Neil. He said, I've got no problem with you selling this information. It's good information. He said, but we have this information. He said, why, why should I buy it from you when I can get it for nothing? And I said, 
I get you, you know, I get you, I get you, I totally understand Mike. And he said, I'm sending an email right now. <laughs> and he, he types out the email. And not long after that, I'm up in, uh, I think I'm up in the Giants um, with John Berger. And I find out, John says, oh, look, we've got the, we've got the player participation information. <laughs> They're going to give us it this year. Just, just to take a step back from this, the player participation is important league-wide to get distributed so that for released players or perhaps practice squad players or whatever, you can go back and look at their plays and then decide whether or not you want to poach them from another team or pick up a released player, correct? Yeah, 100%. You want those snaps and you want... And now, obviously, what we do is we tie those snaps down to the video so you want to see any player. And funnily enough, it's exactly the same now in the college football portal, which is we've become so vital for the college football teams because we can immediately tie any snap from any player to the video for anybody that's played in uh, an FBS game or even an FCS game. Hmm. Oh, that's that's. I th I was going to just ask you whether you were Power Five only or whether you're all of the uh, the remainder of the FB. Uh, sorry, the FCS now. Yeah, we do the we do um, the FCS. So we do um, about another eight hundred games on top of the FBS, which is about a thousand games. Um, so we're doing all of that now as well. And again, that's incredibly valuable and one of the things that we do is we do special teams participation as well as special teams analysis because you want to they want to know who those guys are and what you know what they're playing on special teams l1 l2 what roles do they have mm -hmm. so that's that's an incredibly valuable thing so no we do we do all of the fbs we only have a couple of customers who are fcs um, but we have 103 of the 130 FBS teams as customers now. Oh, wow. Okay. So that, this is about as universal. So I, I've heard it said that a lot of the player participation for the NFL had basically been outsourced to PFF. Are no teams doing it internally just as a check to PFF then at this point? They, they don't really need us anymore because, they, because what's more accurate than us is the Helmet. NGS. So the, 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 the shoulder pad data is, is more valuable. And it, it's 99.9% it's .9 accurate. Um, there'll be a few odds and sods out, but that's now the most accurate thing you can get in terms of player participation. So realistically, that's not really why they're using us anymore. It was in the day, but that's probably the most accurate thing they do. But they can't do things like, we have things like what stance are players in? Well, NGS isn't gonna be able to do that. What are the highlight things? You know, what, you know whether the guy, NGS is okay doing some of those things, but it can probably get to 80% accuracy on a nine route tree in terms of okay. routes. We have 216 routes defined that we provide the NFL. <laughs> Okay. You know, so the idea that um, something is going to come and be able to supersede that, 
um, anytime shortly is I, I think it's a little bit of a Unlikely. pipe dream to try and get down that, to that level just at the moment it'll come but I think you're probably going to need to go to video tracking to enable them to do that level of accuracy well, to, to me, one of the things that's you, you guys are always right not to sit on your on your hands in terms of what you got. And, and there's definitely a desire to improve what you got. It's very, very uh, apparent from talks to people like Eric and Tage, uh, who, who are trying to come up with new things about, you know, adjusted injuries lost to war or, or war adjusted injuries lost. Sorry, I get it right because it's whale. It's one of the great acronyms of all time. And and to work on war and try and, and, and come up with the what are very... Uh, just starting models for war, but you can tell you get the jump on the competition there. Somebody else will advance it in some way, and then you guys will find the way to pick up and, and take the next step from there. So uh, I, I, I really salute that. A lot of people, you know, we hear a lot of complaints about PFF models in the United States, and, and they're based on a lot of different things. But I think the most important thing when you're when you're doing modeling is just to recognize that the person who puts the first model out there knows he's not 100% right. And he knows it's gonna 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 be a matter of inspection. And you you when you put your first model out in you know '07, you, you had to realize that too. And then you you really I think gained from talking to other people about what was going on, and then continued to build a better model. You know until ultimately you've got what you have today. That's I have never ever believed that you know that anything is ever going to be perfect you just know it isn't you know the idea the when somebody comes after you because your model isn't perfect you know that they're just upset that you've got a model that they haven't got that's all yeah. because it, nobody's building a perfect model i used to say to all the nfl coaches or anybody that used to criticize the um model let us, number one, explain it to you because I think it's doing something that you don't think it's doing, point number one. And point number two, it's not perfect. It's a tool, just like any other tool. I think it's a very good tool. Um, but help us to make it better. Understand it and help us to make it better. And I have never, ever had an NFL coach or anybody, a scout, come to this office, and we've had loads, come to the office and when we've explained to them the general response is oh now I understand what you're doing and once they understand what we're trying to do there's a lot more understanding in terms of what it is where you know we are not trying to tell you that this player is definitively better than this player because they're two grading points different for the whole of their careers it's it, it's you know just in everything you do it's nuanced everything is nuanced and i think anybody who wants to say this player is a 72 grade and that's it and what does that mean it's you know it's an inadequate measure we just simply provide one tool of many tools to try and help people understand the performance level of a player now, I wanted to go a little step further on, on this notion is the, the onus of transparency that exists in modeling. Uh, this is definitely true for any kind of actuarial work. If you want to show marketers that their product isn't making the company money, you better be able to do it directly. And you better be able to have some ideas on, on how to fix that. In, in, in 
the football world, and I think PFF has been very good at this, um, you want to be as transparent as you can without giving away the store um, in terms of explaining how your, your methods are derived, how your methodology works. Hopefully that also gets you responses that are of value to that, but then also that um, even when you've had to pull back in terms of the information you've given, like the plus two to minus two system I thought was much more understandable for folks, and the, the, the percentile ranking, if you want to call it that, I think is less understandable, honestly, to, 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 to folks, and we can talk about that a little bit uh, going forward. But but the, the you've always been very responsive, at least with me, in terms of if we have offensive line differences and whatnot, you know, I've gone to Ben Stockwell or whoever, and, and they've been very quick to respond respond about, no, we didn't have this as a quarterback yet, but we did have this as a, a pressure or whatever. Yeah, we, um, we're just constantly trying to get better, and the more feedback, just like any system, the more feedback you get into that loop, the better you get. Um, when Paul Alexander was the offensive line coach for the Bengals, I used to get feedback on our offensive line grades on a virtually weekly basis. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't right, this isn't a bad, but not in a bad way, not in a, but because Paul is like you, Ken, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you, you and I both have a cross to bear, don't we? And it's this obsession with trying to get to a level of detail that we feel is comfortable and we're not the sort of people who stop because they've got to 80%. You know, you've got to drive for more, you know, and what's the, why shouldn't you try and move 94% to 95%? Why wouldn't you? What, you know, life's, yeah. life's not about cheat codes. So we, Paul, was incredibly helpful in being able to provide information into that loop that was valuable to us to help us get better. And I think it came to a culmination when he called me one morning. He knows I'm the sort of person who gets up at ridiculous o'clock. He calls me, it's five o'clock. Who else calls anybody at five o'clock? My phone rings at five o'clock in the morning. And it's Paul and he says, he said, Neil, he said, I, I need to talk to you about these grades. And I was thinking, oh God, have we really screwed one up so badly that he wants to talk to me at five o'clock? His offensive line weren't playing that well and he'd taken 600 of our grades and he'd gone through them and tried to bucket them into, you know, rationale as to why those negative grades had happened, you know. So you gave him the play-by-play data to do this? All the teams have the play-by-play data. Okay. All the teams have that play-by-play data on a... So they can look at any grade at any time and... Um, be able to we, we have to have that you have to be able to sit there with Jim McNally and say look here's all of the 17 times we downgraded Bobby Hart because mm-hmm. if you can't do that then how are they going to trust a system that says we graded Bobby Hart as a 57 you need to be able to take it down to the level of detail so, so I know he, he was coach for the Bengals forever, what, for 20-plus years as an offensive line coach, right? Yeah. So, so my, I, I was thinking he was closer to the beginning, and you're really talking about the earlier years of PFF when you wouldn't have had the individual by-grade plays published to anybody because you didn't have a team client yet. And he might have talked to you at that point and, and it been the case. But you, I know you he, he, he came back. No, I'm talking about more Lackley. He so he's been a consultant to the Bengals for a number of years. Um, 
so that's the, the, I know Jim I know Jim pretty well we get on uh, we get on uh, very well indeed and he's just a, a real friend to the show one of the guys who was I know instrumental or maybe not instrumental but was a was a, a guy who wrote to you often was Evan Mathis right that when he was still playing he he didn't he would he would get involved from time to time he would be interested in things and one of the biggest concerns that I do have is that people feel that the people who get involved somehow get their grades changed, you know. There's this, there's this interesting assumption that, you know, we amended Evan's grades or we amended um, Richard Sherman's grades or we amended Chris Harris's grades because they were, you know, kindly to us. I, that is the biggest load of bullshit that there's ever been on the planet. <laughs> our our a total um, ability to be able to do this relies on us being scrupulously honest. And if anybody knows anything at all about us, we would we will do we will walk over broken glass to get a more accurate result. We'd rather lose the whole company than do anything nefarious to try and make more money. This, com <laughs> this company was never made or built on trying to make money. Why would you start now? Why would you start trying to do things to, you know, um, add additional revenue to, you know, to your, to your uh, product? We just, all we're interested in is just building the best and most accurate, thoughtful um, football database that we possibly can. That's all anybody who works at PFF is interested in. I, I, it's fair enough. I really wasn't digging for this. I was looking for oh, no, no, okay. other offensive yeah. linemen who are looking at that and players yeah. that were active talking yeah. to you. One, th one thing that does happen from time to time is a lot of parents and wives of NFL players, not the players themselves, so you know what's going on with that. Actually, yeah. follow me, and then they then they want to say things about their about their children or whatever once in a while. But that that that, yeah. that does that definitely does happen. I'll say that. Um, let's let's talk about uh, the next step. I really want to do was the the metrics that were appealing. Uh, to a broad group almost immediately. So the, in, in the old plus two to minus two grades immediately showed up in that green and red platform. And it's still, you know, it's multicolored, you know, gre I guess green to red uh, or blue to red that you have right now. But it's, it's, it, was, it was always like an appealing thing to look at right away in terms of those plus two to minus two. How, how well were the other statistics that were, uh, they're not advanced statistics is the wrong word, but they're the signature statistics? Yes. So t tell me about how those were developed and how those were initially um, uh, received. So the, the, as, as usual, back in the day before we got any mathematicians at all, we're just a bunch of guys who are just putting things out that we think are interesting. So yards per out run was a really interesting stat to me. So once you know... Um, what number of uh, routes a guy has run 
then you can put some yardage associated with that and yards per route run felt like a perfectly valid stat to me and it was very it was very interesting because it was it was reasonably predictive as well as to somebody with a low snap count as to how they would go on and move forward. So that was great. But it's really great these days because the guys are now coming and saying, we like yards per route run, but we can make it better. Because if you're running out of 12 personnel or if you're running out of 11 personnel, those things need to be adjusted for those things. So now the guys are taking yards per outrun and they're adjusting it based on the number of times that that particular player was in 12 personnel, whatever the package was. So that whole thing is changing entirely. And But it's not we're not throwing something out, we're just making it better. And that's that's really fundamentally, uh, you know, what we were doing when we came up with the signature stats, which we're just coming up, you know, number of tackles broken per, you know, per attempt. You know, that's yeah. a, that seems like a perfectly viable thing to me. And interestingly, coming out of college, that's quite a predictive thing as to whether the guy will do well at the next at the NFL level. Mm hmm. I, I I just in hearing you describe this and the and the steps you're taking to make it better as you go. That's what model building is all about. And you know if a if an actuarial student came to me and he wanted to present something a certain way and he, he shows me the cash flows and and I say. It's a good thing if I tell you, I want you to highlight this, I want you to put the formula up here, I want you to add me one column over here. That means I'm working within your format. And that's what they've done when they've started with yards per route run, and they want to use that as the adjusted basis for 12, 11, you know, 01, whatever it might be, personnel. Um, but if I, if I really didn't like your plan, I just turn the sheet over and go, Roman rule one, two, three, four, here's how we want to show this. And they didn't tell you that. So they knew they had a good model. And I think your point earlier about, about you know, when a guy hates your model, it's because your model is pretty good to start with. And, he, and th there might be small differences he would, he would take, but he would start with your model. I think there's, there's a lot of it. Listen, is there some stuff that we've done that's um, uh, not entirely ideal? Of course there is. I think there was some stuff that we did on running backs. We did something called an elusiveness rating. And for some godforsaken reason, we decided to take the number of yards after contact and multiply them by the tackles broken by... I can't even remember what it was. It just... Okay. It just, it just felt like a load of mumbo-jumbo to me. But, you know, it's too late. It was one of those things that was out. And if people wanted to criticize it, I wasn't entirely telling them that it, <laughs> I thought it was a great thing. Um, you know, it's just these... Uh, do, we, do we agree with everything that we do as a company? As the company scales, you're going to have people who are going to have different ideas than you. It's one of the great things about a company scaling. People come in with different ideas, and it's not all about you or your ideas. It never really was. It was about a group of people with different ideas who could take um, a model, somebody's done it, and go, ah, that's okay, but to your point, I think I can go one better. And then somebody else coming along and going, I think I can go one better. And that consistently building on success is, is fundamental, really, to what we did. If we look back on what we did back in 2008, we'd, <laughs> we'd probably hang our heads in shame. But, you know, at the time, it was... It was it the best thing out it, there. And it was the best start the best out th there. Yeah. 
That's exactly it. it it's, everything's relative to the time at which it comes out. And, you know, what are we now? You know, people would have said we were a data collection company back in the day. Yeah, that's fine. Realistically, now, we're probably a software company, Ken. That's what we do. You know, we provide the software that sits on the desks of every general manager and every head coach in the NFL. You know, and at the college level, that's fundamentally what we're doing. And we're looking to move and improve that software and to make the workflows better for those guys and to give them models, mathematical models, that come from our data scientists that we believe understand our data better than anybody else and therefore can leverage that to maximum effect. Are we, a data, are we still a really good data collection company? I believe our processes are fantastic. But, you know... Will we be a data collection company in five years' time? I don't know. We might collect small portions of it, but I suspect most of the uh, most of what we do will be done by computer vision. Mm -hmm. All right. So I, I know a lot of people are going to be interested in hearing the story of how Chris Collinsworth bought the company. Do you want to talk about that? I don't want you to go into any detail you're not comfortable discussing. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to talk about anything. I, it, nothing... Uh, one of the key tenets of the company is transparency. You know, I, I can't, I can't remember any time that anybody in the company in PFF has asked me anything, and I've said, "I'm sorry, I can't tell you that." I might have done it because uh, it just needed that somebody else in, in a hierarchy needed to be told first, but doesn't mean that anybody can't hear anything. Um, so. Uh, Chris sent in an email and he, he purchased a $26.99 subscription and he sent an email and um, said, can somebody call me? He's to, <laughs> in, his, in his hyperbole, but probably not a million miles away, two and a half minutes later I called him and <laughs> uh, said, um, hi, I'm Neil Hornsby. And he, the way he tells it is... Once he heard the English accent, all he could think of was, son of a bitch, this guy's just swindled me, this Englishman's just swindled me out of 26.99. So it was, uh, but we got talking and I, I told him, you know, what we did. And obviously the big thing for him was when he said, when I told him we had 13 NFL teams as clients, he couldn't believe it. He said, how on earth have you got 13 NFL teams as clients? I said, well, you know, we have. From over the, you know, from England? I said, yeah, I said, we, we do. So that was the big selling point for him. 10 days later, he made an offer to buy the company. And 10 weeks later, the deal had been done and I and my family were on our way to um, the US. And the, the usual thing is, whenever you're selling your company to somebody, I've always seen PFF as like the daughter I didn't have. You know, I, I would have loved a daughter. I had four boys. I'm very lucky to have four boys. I, no question. Um, but I would always have loved a daughter. And I, I, I treat PFF like the daughter I didn't have. So it feels like you're selling your daughter to this man who you don't really know across the pond. And um, obviously you're keen that he looks after her. And I have to say... And I've said this a number of times, but my expectations of Chris were relatively high. I'd heard a lot of good things about him. Everything that he did during the deal um, was incredibly positive. 
however high my expectations were, he massively exceeded them. Um, I know there's a number of people. Everybody does it, you know. Everybody doesn't like commentators on games, you know. And uh, Chris takes it just like everybody else. But I can tell you, as a businessman, he's been phenomenal. You know, I know people who have been CEOs and in business um, because that's, I guess, what I used to do um, for 20 years. Who couldn't hold a candle to him in terms of his business acumen. Um, he's just been absolutely outstanding. He's taught me a lot about business that I didn't, I thought I knew, and I, 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 I in hindsight, I probably didn't. And I think more than anything else, he's taught me how much trust matters within a business, how much trusting your people matters. Um, I was probably, to start with, a little bit of a micromanager. It's your company, mm -hmm. keen to make sure. sure, you know. One one mistake, one $50,000 mistake, either way, at the start of a company, can sink you. So you would rather that's in your hands as opposed to somebody else's. Um, and he showed me as we grew the company what you could get back by trusting people to make those decisions. And what I've learned is, the more you trust people, the more they give you back. The less you trust people, then they, they live up to that expectation as well. And Chris is the person who taught me that. And uh, it's a <laughs> if anybody ever says you're too old to learn something in business, you know, as I said, I'm 57 now and I'm still learning something about business every single day. And uh, all I know is just how much I don't know. But that's the fun of it. You know, that's, that's why I still love this. And I'll probably be doing this until uh, Chris throws me out. Uh, now you, uh, this may be, I may be crossing the line here, but I'll ask the question, round numbers, what would, what did PFF go for to Chris way back when? And what year was it, by the way? Uh, you see, I, I'm happy to tell you that from my perspective. Mm -hmm. I just don't know that... Um, Fair enough. Uh, that I, it's right to tell you from Chris's perspective. He is... Here's what I would say, we just about to do, so. I think we're just about to um, uh, probably do a deal with um, uh, an external party, and uh, if, if that comes about, I'll give you the numbers then. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. We'll, but if, uh, if, it comes about, if, it, if it comes about, Chris will have made an absolute ton of money. <laughs> okay. Well, the, uh, uh, the long-term impact of PFF is one of the interesting things because I think it really has changed a lot about football. I mean, obviously, uh, football had never previously had any meaningful week-to-week -week stats on defensive or offensive linemen in particular. Uh, linebackers were judged by a different set of metrics than they are today. Cornerbacks, you had very little on as well. Uh, you know, only, only offensive skill positions with their uh, plethora of stat counting had much and then it's a lot more today with expected yards per carry and uh, rush yards over expectation, I should say, some of the recent things that have been done. But how do you think PFF has changed the game in that way? And I'll, t I'll talk about two specific things, all pro and Hall of Fame selections in particular. Yeah. Um, Hall of Fame selections, I don't think we're far enough down the line, and we've. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not. Is is Megatron the first person who we have every single season for that's gone into the Hall of Fame? 
I hmm. don't know. I think that might be the case. Um, I need to go back and have a look at that. Um, there's the, the Hall of Fame, I think, has got a lot further to go. I think the All-Pro, we've definitely had an impact on that. I don't think there's any question at all that you can look and see, particularly along the offensive line, some people that um, potentially wouldn't have been selected if PFF hadn't have existed. Um, you've got to remember that PFF was founded a lot on what Paul Zimmerman uh, came up with as well. So he was really um, one of the people that I looked up to the most. And one of the reasons that I looked up to <laughs> more than anything else was, number one, he had a methodology that he could articulate and articulate on a game-by-game, play-by-play basis as to why he got it. That was more than anybody else, you know, even, you know, even close to anybody else. And number two, and this might sound a little bit, but his were different than anybody else's. His, you could tell he was not following the the sheep mm -hmm. they, he would happily put some random guy in and justify it and I think that's what we've always been able to do we have never ever backed away from saying here's what we think and here's why we think it and we can go down to a play by play basis you know we're we were on to Marshall Yander virtually before anybody else. When he was playing tackle, you remember in the days when he yeah, came in and played tackle? Sure. Yeah, it, Marshall Yander could have probably been a Hall of Famer as a tackle, frankly. He was that good. I was, surprised. I was somewhat shocked that they moved him inside. Now, clearly, he's a great guy. He, a Hall of Fame guard, in my opinion, not question. And... Um, but he was he was immediately obvious as good in his first in his first year, and you know I don't think anybody else you may have seen it Ken, but then again you're just looking at the Ravens, so how do you judge that against everybody else? With at least um, given the judgment, you may say, look, given the numbers that I've seen for other Ravens players, this was a pretty good season. Um, what we were able to do was to put that into the context of everybody else as well, yeah. and I think we've done. A, I think we've done a lot of that, and I think there's been a lot of people that we've identified pretty early that have then gone on to be really, really good players. Chris Harris was we were on to very early. Richard Sherman we were on to very early. Um, a lot of uh, Marshall Yander, um, a ton of players. Um, and also, we're probably far more negative on certain players where there's an amount of hype. Mm -hmm. The big one that's always stood out for me, and I would be very disappointed at the Hall of Fame if he was considered, not because he's a bad guy or anything like that, I just don't think that this is the level, but Marquise Pouncey seemed to pull in a level right. of hype that was well beyond the standard. He played like a perfectly, averagely, reasonable center was he as good as Travis Frederick not even close were he as good as Nick Mangold not in the same planet was he as good as Alex Mack no but why on earth is everybody talking about Marquise Pouncey as if he's the second coming I have no idea 
does, doesn't make any sense at all. And, and I appreciate you tying that in because we've got a Marshall Yonda reference and then a Marquise Pouncey reference. And this being primarily a Ravens audience, they'll appreciate the direction yeah. of both of those. Um, I, I did want to say that I think that one of the ways you can see PFF has really impacted all pro voting, for example, is to look at how often the all pro by position changes, particularly at positions like offensive line and defensive line, where there wouldn't have been data in the old days. And you would see the same guys win it eight, nine straight years. And you and I both know not only is there a fair amount of variation from game to game in terms of players, there's a lot of variation from year to year because um, players get hurt. And, you know, they have bad years. At times, a block or a shoulder bothers them a whole. Well, they, they probably shouldn't be all pro, even if they toughed it out and played 16 games a lot of time. I, and I think that change to the frequency of change in who gets the all pro is probably one of the biggest artifacts that PFF's had a real influence on it. I, I agree with that. One of the stories that I like to tell, because I think it plays to a little bit of this idea of variance, and also what you were talking about previously, which is, or what we were talking about, probably I was alluding to, which is what people think we're doing when we're providing a grade on a player. One of my favorite stories is uh, Bobby Sloick. Um, worked for us for a number of years we got a call from Mike Shanahan that this was a good guy could we take him in Bobby worked for us for two or three years he was fantastic um, I think we helped him and he helped us an absolute time he when Kyle got the job at San Francisco Bobby then went on to work with Robert Saller in the defense he's now working for Kyle I think he's the passing game coordinator but Bobby tells the story that when Robert Sala was there, um, he went and he was talking. He said, so what did you do previously? And Bobby said, well, I worked for PFF. And Robert had said, oh, he said, I'm not really sure of their grades. He said, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with them. And Bobby had said, oh, okay, give me an example, as we normally do. You know, and Robert had said, well, Talvin Smith, you know, I, you know, he was with me in Jacksonville. PFF, you know, didn't say he was very good, and he's clearly very good. And Bobby said, well, I didn't think he played that well last year. And Robert's response was, well, no, he didn't, but he's a good player. <laughs> and, that, and that's the point. I think coaches have always had this view that a player is judged. Their grade on a player is the talent level. And how that player plays against the talent level is down to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's it, this player is this talented, and then they move up and down from there. But that's not really that's not really the players. <laughs> Whereas we know that a player has variations for a whole host of reasons. Sometimes he's got, sometimes he's injured. Sometimes he's got an unfavorable matchup because he's asked to do something that is probably outside the scope of his control. Sometimes he just goes against a more difficult player or a player with a playing style that he can't, that he's not particularly good at dealing with. Do PFF grades account for that now for the opponent? No, and they never will. So my response to that was, uh, and I always use the example of Bobby Massey. So Bobby Massey, for the first few, I think it was probably 2012, Bobby Massey for the first few, uh, first eight games of 2012 was the worst graded tackle in the league playing for Arizona. For the last eight games, he was a top five graded tackle. 
So how do you grade him? And when do you make the cut? So you could say, oh, well, for, do it for the first eight games. Well, what happens if those eight games had been up and down every... So he'd averaged... <laughs> he'd been an average player, but it had gone up and down. Um, the other example I always give is Nate Livings, who was uh, I thought you were going to tie that back, if I could hold you for a second. I thought you okay, were going to tie yeah, yeah. that back to who Bobby Massey played in the first eight games as opposed to the last eight. Was it no, something about the matchups? It, it was nothing to do with that, sorry. And I was going to tie that. The, what, what it was to do with was just the fact that he saw the light after eight weeks. It clicked for him after eight weeks. There wasn't... The, so, but when do you switch? You know, when do you... What, did, are you saying that Bobby Massey... Are you going to give a guy going against Bobby Massey in the first weeks of the season a downgrade and a guy going against Bobby Massey in the second. How do you do... The mathematics that's involved in that are incredibly tricky, particularly when you tie in the thing that I was going to tell you about Nate Livings, which is... We graded Nate Livings. He went... Uh, he was a guard for Cincinnati and he went on as a free agent to Dallas. Unfortunately, he was injured, so he didn't play out, after, I think, after about a year after signing a big free agent contact with Dallas. Um, Nate Livings, we graded as uh, slightly above average. Um, and the uh, Dallas uh, beat writers got on our case when they said, well... The coaches tell us that they've looked at the film and, you know, he's played well against all, you know, the the key players. Haloti Nata being a classic example of somebody who he played well against. Um, and they, they reeled off this list of big players that he played well against. And I said, so what about in the other games? And they said, oh, they didn't look at those. They looked at eight games. Okay. <laughs> So when we looked at the eight games that they looked at, they matched up pretty well with our grades. Yes, he had played fairly well against Salote in Arda, but this bunch of scrubs that were in these other games, he'd really struggled against them. And that was the point. He was, they looked for the big old units on the defensive line that they wanted him to be able to match up against. But what they forgot, or not forgot, but all they didn't care about or whatever was these smaller, faster, you know, twitchier defensive linemen, he would struggle with them more frequently. And that was why his grade was lower. Now, if you go in with that knowledge and you say, this is the player we want, we understand he's going to struggle with this, then that's what it is, then that's fine. But how do you do that? Do you then grade, do you then grade Nate Living's differently based upon which opponent he is? And do you, base, do you change his opponent's grade based upon the fact that Nate Living struggles with him? It just becomes such a mess that we just say, we're going to grade people the same against everybody and then let you do your math on top of it if you Fair want enough. to do it. That's the way that we do it. Fair, fair enough. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Well, Neil, it's been a pleasure having you on here. Uh, I, I really appreciated this hour here that you could make this for us. Uh, anything else you'd like to talk to about or maybe about PFF content you'd like people to look for? Yeah, we're, uh, we're always putting new content out there. I think you know that we have a, a couple of subscriptions, a 
um, a, an edge subscription for people who are probably more interested in fantasy, an elite subscription for gamblers. Um, those are uh, those are out there and are selling incredibly well at the moment. Um, the but, elite subscription yeah, is is at forty percent off right now. It was it was just recently, and I know I picked uh, it up. It like was it. it was recently. You've just missed the sale, unfortunately, at the moment. All so, right. but uh, it's. Um, yeah, it's, it's doing very well. But I, I just wanted to say um, thank you to you, Ken, um, for all the help that you've given me over the years. You've been a big friend of PFF. So many friends of PFF, you know, all the way down, and that's one of the key things, and that's one of the nicest things about this business. I have to say that in football, probably the most surprising but the most pleasant thing is the amount of really good people that there are in the business. I, I, I can count the negative conversations that I've had in football in 15 years on one finger. Mm -hmm. One finger with one person. Is my, okay, is let's, my not, let's not talk about who my, that is. <laughs> no, we're definitely not going to talk about who that was. And it was only one, and I had plenty of other reasonable conversations with that person. But that's it. it football is a wonderful um, place. It's great. I, you know, the amount of coaches and front office people have been wonderful to me personally. I, I was just expecting people to think, you know, this English guy, <laughs> what does right. he know? And they'd have probably been right, but uh, everybody's been so pleasant, yourself included. You know, you could have given us the, t not given us the time of day, Ken. And I appreciate you for what you did in terms of helping us, helping us with our player participation and uh, everything that you've done since then, you know, in having us on the podcast and having the guys on the podcast, it's really, uh, it's really good. And you're just a, another friend of the show that uh, hopefully will be a friend for many years to come. Pleasure's all mine. Your guys are always great to talk to, and, and they're very dedicated football people. And, uh, uh, you know, I hope a, a lot of Americans can listen to this podcast and get past the accent a little bit in terms of some of the prejudices people have for foreigners you know <laughs> examining our game and and frankly it's completely unfair and and if if we have a problem it's because we haven't moved quickly enough to change things and if you if you have a problem with neil believe me, you're going to have bigger problems with the austrian model builders who are coming in and telling you what rush yards of over expectation ought to be and they're not they've, they've watched a couple of football games in their life in some cases so uh you know get with it if you're if you're into this it's a it's a great thing to try as a hobby to do as a second career i think as as neil and i have both mentioned and uh and it, it it's a lot of fun but uh but be well be ready to do some work in it too in terms of really building your own model from scratch and doing some of that by, by, work by hand probably starting either on paper or maybe on a spreadsheet today neil thanks again for for uh, joining us really appreciate you joining us no, uh, any time, Ken, I'm always like, you know me, any opportunity to talk football. <laughs> I had 45 years of not being able to talk football or whatever it was. And the, last, uh, the last 15 have been a lot more interesting. 
All right. Well, maybe next time we'll have you on and we'll talk, talk really football instead of company building in some way. I mean, I think this is interesting to a lot of people, but I think they'd also like to hear what Neil Hornsby has to say about, about football at some point during t- 2021. Oh, I wouldn't. I would, I, I, I'm much better at company building. Now, if you want to talk football, get the guys on, get Renner on, get, uh, you know, get the guys that watch a ton of... I, I'm just... The company's too big now, Ken. I have to concentrate on being the CEO. Unfortunately, it means that I don't get to do as much football, but... Um, that, that's okay. I love what I do. I love business. I always have. I just didn't like corporate bullshit, and I don't get that anymore now, thanks to Chris. So, so, so I'm happy. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Neil, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. All right. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.